From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Amanda Rooney. And I'm Sophia Osborne. And we'll be your hosts for the next half hour of environmental news from across Canada and around the world. Did you know that this month is Plastic Free July? The Plastic Free July Foundation, based out of Australia, started this month-long campaign in 2011 in an attempt to address the global environmental issue that is plastic waste. This week, we're bringing back a story from our archives about a BC woman who lived plastic-free for a whole year. Then, Amanda and I will give you our hot take on the current debate taking place around plastic straws. But before we get to all of that, our first archive features the Elements Society and the Lonely Whale Foundation, who created a classroom pilot project to address the issues surrounding single-use plastics. Back in September 2017, I spoke with Laura Bamsey and Marnie Olson from the Elements Society about this pilot project and how students not only learned about plastic waste, but also learned how to build communication and project management skills. My name is Laura Bamsey, and I'm the acting executive director of the Elements Society, and it's a nonprofit organization. And Catch the Wave is a program that was developed uh, with two nonprofits uh, the Elements Society, which is the Canadian based nonprofit, along with the Lonely Whale Foundation, which is an American based nonprofit. So we were brought together to utilize some existing programs that we already had and bring them together to create Catch the Wave. So this pilot project, it's working with kids, right? Yeah, that's correct. We're working with um, schools, classes, or environmental clubs that are interested in doing something for the environment or sustainability related. So it sounds like your program is focused on plastic use and plastic waste reduction. That's correct. So our focus was on reducing single-use plastic, and we looked specifically at plastics that end up in the ocean. So the Lonely Whale Foundation had some statistics or found some statistics around what kinds of things are ending up in our oceans predominantly. So some examples are straws, plastic water bottles, styrofoam, coffee, single-use sort of coffee cups or coffee lids are kind of some of the main ones. There's a couple other in there as well. So we've really focused in on those ones and uh, schools working towards reducing those kinds of things that end up in the ocean uh, to to support them to do that. So I guess they're working on raising awareness about single-use plastic. What kind of projects have they been working on to, to do this? Awareness is a huge and great step. Something that we do for the Element Society as part of our programming and part of the reason why we were sort of brought into the fold is we really focus on the project management of whatever they're working on. So it's kind of usually a year, multi-year long project. And we use the eight-step sort of process to help them do uh, a project that uh, they can see the impact and see the change. So we actually work with them to have them measure sort of how much plastic or whatever they're working on is leaving their school. So an example might be they might count before they start their project the number of plastic bottles leaving their school at the beginning of the year before they start, and they might have 10 bags. And then after they've done their program over a year, the idea is to count again and see if they've reduced 
that number. So we really focused on awareness as well as being able to communicate the impact of what they're actually achieving within their school. And then more broadly, if we work within a school district, we can see those impacts even within the whole district. And then to continue with some examples of what the students were doing this year, we, we had one school in Richmond and then we had a few schools in Calgary and Fort McMurray. And the idea was for some of those schools in Calgary and Fort McMurray to have a connection to the ocean because they're, they're landlocked. Um, so the idea was to think about what's happening in the ocean, even though we can't necessarily see it or we're not close to it. And the schools in Calgary and Fort McMurray did some really neat projects. We had one that was focusing on plastic bottles, and they actually collected all the caps of the bottles and created an art project out of it. So it was a bit of art, but it also showed how much they were throwing away in a week or a day or a month by being able to display that in front of their school. And then other ones were focusing a lot on uh, single-use wrappers and being able to reduce them and see those impacts. And then our other big one was was water bottles. And they introduced uh, bringing in reusable water bottles for all the students. And they were able to eliminate around 60 or 70% of the water bottles. Yeah, that it gives me a lot of hope for like our next generations. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I think uh, the only thing I would like to add uh, is that we're really excited about moving this forward in Canada and we're currently still looking for funding and sponsorship to make this happen in the upcoming school year and the future. So we'd just be excited for anyone who's interested in this as well as other organizations working on. I know there's a lot out there uh, doing single-use plastic and and working on ocean health um, to be able to work together and sort of take this Catch the Wave project to the next level. Um, so this pilot project called Catch the Wave, and it's uh, you've been working in schools to foster an awareness around single-use plastics? Yep. We're really interested in um, helping students examine the world around them in their community and to see opportunities for how they can actually have an impact in their community. This project really celebrates um, empowerment of, of the youth voice and their ability to be innovative and design and apply themselves in in ways that really matter to them. Our job is really just to give them the the framework and the tools that they need so that they can really run with it. So I think where the magic is of the program is when students have the chance to direct and control how they organize themselves, how they organize the message they want to deliver with support that, that the program offers, they really get excited, and that's when um, we start to see results that are measurable, and they see the importance of measuring the results. So they can they can not only, you know, build on that confidence that we really did make a difference, but also to the, to the community around them. I think we all celebrate the youth having that kind of impact. What I've discovered and didn't see coming was how impactful this is on teaching. Uh, and the teaching community, um, the teachers themselves uh, grow and develop as they watch their students do project-based learning in a in a supportive environment. Um, and the program really um, gives the teachers the kind of support that they need as well uh, to develop some of their skills to support the students. And we can sort of see an aligned sort of a, a, a growth that's happening in the students. And we can see it happening in the in the teachers. And they're building on 
they're in, they're, they have great um, uh, foundations of, of in education, and um, they don't get very many opportunities to do project-based learning either. So it, we see a lot of impact um, in that way as well. So it's really exciting because they can take the skills that they learn in this project and apply it to any project, but what we've noticed is they get so excited about what they're working on and, and the fact that they've been able to direct it in, in, in the way that matters to them that they can't wait to start the next level of the project. It's a really important issue um, to reduce the amount of plastic that we're uh, putting into the ocean. It, it makes me kind of think of that garbage islands. Yes, the Pacific gyre. These things that aren't, you know, in our backyard, until we start building connections between our daily choices and some of those issues that exist in other parts of the world, we can't really affect the same kind of change. And what, what we've noticed is the students really latch on to um, the significance of, of the issue when they learn a little bit about it. And then as they start building the connections between their daily actions, then they're ready to not only adopt that change for themselves personally, but they can't wait to help other people see what they see. I think this program gives them concrete, measurable opportunity to to actually see that they are making a difference in the world because they're part of a huge community of a global issue and um, as they get excited um, catch the wave is is is, is the perfect name for um, inviting others to join and catch the wave with them so it really isn't about directing other people to to to, to stop doing something it's about here's what we found out Here's what we think is important to everyone. Um, come and join us and be part of this change that will make a difference. And together, we'll, you know, we'll be part of a, a, a bigger impact. The research and communications shows that people respond really well to um, a positive and uh, a want to get involved and be part of something that is a community of change. Uh, if it's doom and gloom, um, it doesn't seem to get the same traction. To have young people um, describe the nature of the problem and and how it relates to, you know, our personal choices on a daily basis and how easy it is to make a switch or an adjustment, in a, you know, do one thing differently, and we all do it, and and let's and let's um, let's celebrate the impact of that because we're gonna we're gonna track it, we're gonna see how many fewer straws are gonna use, get used or how many fewer uh, single-use water bottles are going to be used. And when we add that all up, what does that equate to? Well, there is a climate change connection. There is a water conservation connection. There's an energy connection. It's, and, and when they tie it all together in their own words, um, I think other youth and adults pay attention. Yeah, it sounds like um, you're facilitating some really great like holistic and critical thinking skills as well, which is really awesome. And I definitely think when this message is coming from uh, your younger generations, it's, it is almost more impactful because they can say like, hey, this is what we're going to be dealing with this. So maybe you should step it up a little bit. Yeah. And from a sustainability point of view, this really gives them a chance to connect with their community in the business sense and identify some opportunities that are win-win. Definitely. That sounds really awesome. I mean, a collective movement is what we need, and it's, it's awesome that you're bringing organizations together because I think that's really that's going to make, make it so much stronger, too. And 
getting those adults <laughs> enthusiastic about something. <laughs> yeah, it's not hard to do when you put the students center stage. Every, there's lots of room on the wave. Everyone can get touched away. That was Amanda Rooney speaking with two representatives from the Element Society from one of our archived episodes. We mentioned at the beginning of this week's show that this month is Plastic Free July. Can you imagine living without any plastic products for an entire month? How about a whole year? In our second archive piece from March 2016, Hamdi Asawi speaks to Taina Witu from Denman Island, BC, about living plastic free. It is everywhere. I mean, it's around us, it's on us, and it's in us. So it is absolutely everywhere. So if you stop and just look around, you'll start to really see it, you know, because it's become so pervasive, it's, it's virtually invisible. This is Taina Huito. I live on Denman Island in British Columbia, and um, I do my best to live a plastic-free life. But it wasn't always that way. Back in 2009, I was working as a as the manager of a sustainable seafood program. So I, I had my eye on the ocean, uh, so to speak. And so I started learning a little bit about plastic pollution in the ocean through a program called Five Gyres. Five Gyres is an environmental organization bent on eliminating plastic pollution in our oceans. They're named after the five huge swirling vortices in the Pacific, Atlantic, and Indian Oceans. Think of like a giant toilet bowl that's kind of flushing. And right in that middle is where you get a lot of accumulation of all the stuff that's coming from land or that ends up in the ocean. So where does their plastic go in the ocean? Well, it ends up in these areas called the, the gyres. Some people think that they're islands of garbage, but what it is is actually plastic soup. Now, because the gyres are so vast, the ocean plastic floats all around and at different depths, so it's hard to even estimate just how much plastic there is out there. But to give you an idea of how much plastic we make, the United States Environmental Protection Service pegs plastic waste generated in 2012 at 32 million tons, only 9% of which was recovered for recycling, which is a whole other problem. So if you think about the vast accumulation that is occurring on our planet, it's pretty mind-boggling. We've all seen how plastic waste, like six-pack rings, can harm sea animals. But what you might not know is that over time, the sun's rays help break that plastic down into smaller pieces, which is not exactly a good thing either. As plastic stews in the ocean water, chemicals added during the manufacturing process, like BPA, can leach into and contaminate the surrounding water. On top of that, some plastics, like polyethylene, act as magnets that attract and accumulate other waterborne toxins, like PCB and the pesticide DDT. It all spells out bad news for any birds or sea life that might mistake small bits of plastic for an easy meal. These problems, along with other concerns about the limited recyclability of plastics, prompted Taina to quit plastic for a whole year. A week or a month just didn't seem long enough. So, um... I kind of decided to go big and do a full year, and the main goal was to acquire no new plastics, and then to purge my kitchen and bathroom of all plastic products. So on day one, January 1st, I made a big, ugly plastic pile in the middle of my kitchen, 
and out out the door it went. So that's how it all began. And it's been like that ever since. I would say that after, you know, almost four years of doing it, I think I'm at like 98% plastic free. Which isn't to say that there were no hiccups along the way. Like with any challenge, it wouldn't be much of one if it was easy. With plastic free, you often have to compromise. You can't be set on certain things always. You can't be like, today I want an apple. You know, you might have to go and get a pear instead if you find that the pears have no stickers and the apples do. And so, you know, you're always kind of juggling, but you do have to kind of stay open uh, about the possibilities. And that works both ways. The sheer ubiquity of plastics make an all-or-nothing approach virtually impossible. Hence the need for a few ground rules. The first being... Health comes first before the plastic challenge. So if I absolutely needed, for example, some kind of medication and it came in plastic, and I wasn't going to beat myself up for it. So my advice there would be just you can get caught up on a lot of stuff if you're too picky. So if you make these rules and you allow yourself a few vices or whatever, then then you'll do a lot better because it's crazy. If possible, Plastic Free is always Tina's first choice, which has led to some interesting alternatives. One of my favorite alternatives is this thing called an abigo wrap. It's basically a piece of cloth that's covered in beeswax. And what it does is it replaces saran wrap, for example. Okay, so toothbrush, you can... I have several, because I'm a total geek. <laughs> but one, the one that I was using first was made out of bone and boar hairs. Her solution to garbage bags, to me anyway, was the most impressive. Though I suppose it really shouldn't have come as a surprise. I had never really thought about what I was going to do with garbage bags. But what we found going through the challenge is we weren't creating any garbage or very little garbage because you cut out plastic, then you cut out a lot of the other junk that comes with plastic. Then, you know, we had so little garbage that we're able to get away with using just little paper bags. Though she hasn't found a way around credit cards and the new polymer banknotes, living plastic-free has made her life richer in other ways. You learn to talk to people and you learn to ask for help and you learn to ask for what you want. And just kind of leading the way feels good too. I love talking to elementary school groups about this and connecting to those kids. And yeah, it's, it's brought a lot of good in that way for sure. That was Hamdi Isawi talking to Taina Witu about her plastic-free life. A documentary titled from the waist up about Tina and her lifestyle was released in 2014. Now let's jump back from the past and into the present. Recently, Facebook and Twitter feeds have been flooded with articles about plastic straws and the large corporations that are making moves to remove them from their businesses. For example, you probably heard that Starbucks has pledged to stop using disposable plastic straws by 2020. Reducing the amount of single-use plastics being produced and subsequently thrown away seems like a step in the right direction, right? Well, sort of. Many disabled people require straws to drink, and plastic straws are the cheapest, safest, and most convenient option. Articles addressing the needs of disabled folks and emphasizing straw choices are scattered throughout the wave of anti-plastic straw articles being shared on social media. 
We wanted to share our thoughts on this debate with you. According to the World Economic Forum, there are 150 million metric tons of plastic in the ocean right now, and at this rate, there will be more plastic than fish in the ocean by 2050. Plastic, when it was like invented, was a material that was supposed to last forever. Uh, but here we are now using this really like long-lasting material for things and products that are supposed to be disposable. Uh, we don't really see the impacts of plastic pollution so much as um, developing countries um, and other like coast coastal communities as well. So part of what sparked this particular movement around banning straws was a photo that's been circulating of a sea turtle mm-hmm. kind of like impaled by a, a plastic straw. And so it's almost become kind of a, a trendy thing to like hashtag go strawless. So even though I think it's definitely a step in the right direction and I like to see businesses doing this, at the same time it makes me a bit uncomfortable that the reason for a lot of it seems to be one around charismatic animals that we care about because of their beauty or coolness, that sort of thing. Um, and then two, because of, yeah, just trends and people themselves trying to be cool. Um, yeah, so that's part of what has me a bit conflicted about it, even though obviously I think, you know, I wouldn't say to Starbucks, don't ban straws. Like, yes, please ban straws, but are we doing it for the right reasons? Does that even matter whether we're doing it for the right reasons? Yeah, you are right to talk on your point about whether people are caring for the right reasons. It's consumer pressure and a, like collective behavior and I think that that is just a good thing, despite the fact that some people might not entirely, uh, like, quote unquote, like, get it. Because I think it's a lot of it centers around changing social norms, um, which are like things you don't even have to think about. So, yeah, some people uh, might not even be looking into deeper reasons why we shouldn't be using so much single-use plastic, but they uh, have caught on to, like, that it that it's kind of, like, this trend. Um. I guess what you were saying about this becoming a movement, I kind of see is that there's two possible ways that this could go, where one way would be like that, where we change social norms and straws are just sort of this first symbolic step. Um, people have been calling it, like, a gateway plastic to getting people to, you know, use less plastic in general, maybe less packaging, um, plastic bags, water bottles, things that kind of affect our lives more than the straws do. Um, So that's one way it could go. But then I also see that it could definitely go another way where people think that just not using straws is enough, where plastic straws are basically just a distraction from like larger plastic issues. And then issues with corporations in general like is this just greenwashing we had this funny and sad (laughs) tweet shared um, uh, by at Tristan Hopper the next time I'm idling my car for 20 minutes at a drive-thru for a strip mall Starbucks built atop a reclaimed wetland I will feel a unique sense of satisfaction that they are protecting the earth from straws yeah yeah so I think that really yeah I think that totally sums it up there's just so many other issues that 
and straws have become this one thing that we fixated on that it's maybe distracting, like you were saying, from corporations being actually like more environmentally friendly and um, like addressing their like tremendous use of and well wasteful use of like plastics and other wasteful practices that that we just have come to normalize. Yeah. Yeah, those like superficial things that that are like um, supposedly eco-friendly and our, our soul is eco-friendly like eco-friendly like capitalism kind of yeah exactly like is starbucks going to save us from plastic waste like, i don't think that they're going to save us it's kind of like they know that they can get on this bandwagon how many plastic cups does starbucks go through and and they also just sell like a bunch of junk to people and and um, then of course there's the disability issues. NPR.org ran this article titled, Why People with Disabilities Want Bans on Plastic Straws to be More Flexible. This NPR article describes a mother and her son who has a disability who, like, he's thirsty and he needs to get water, but they go um, they go somewhere to, to get a drink, but they have a no-straw policy and they can't get, get a straw for him. And so they, they end up having to go, like, all over town trying to find a place where they can get a drink with a straw. It's not like the disabilities community is saying, like, don't phase out straws for the most part, right? But there just needs to be options available. And um, plastic straws are, like, the safest option yeah. when it comes to straws. I saw, like, a number of um, comparison, like, charts online um, that I think were made, like, by, like, uh, disability advocacy um, groups, um, just, like, explaining the reasons why these alternative options don't work um, for people with disabilities. So in this NPR article, they sort of responded to the criticism from some people who've said, like, oh, what what did disabled people use before plastic straws were invented? And... um, Sean Bickley, co-chair of the Seattle Commission for People with Disabilities, uh, said, quote, they aspirated liquid in their lungs, developed pneumonia, and died, end quote. So I just found that really hit home. I think, I think it's more like a lot of people don't understand this issue, and they see it as, you know, environmentalism versus the disability community, which definitely isn't the case. But obviously we have to have options for people we can all agree that we need to use less plastic, but we can maybe disagree about how exactly we go about that. Yeah, exactly. And like really in the like grand scheme of things, like the disabled community that needs to use uh, plastic straws is like probably pretty small compared to the rest of us. And just because Starbucks is phasing out plastic straws by 2020 doesn't have to mean that you need to celebrate Starbucks because I don't know if I ever will be able to celebrate them, but we can acknowledge that at least it is a step in the right direction, like no matter what the motivations are. And instead maybe celebrating like the consumers that put the pressure onto these companies to make this change. Yeah. So in conclusion, <laughs> it's a really complex issue and uh, you have to uh, you have to listen to all sides. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's really complex, and I have a lot of really conflicting feelings about it. But I'm glad we talked about it. Life in plastic. Not so fantastic. (laughs) We hope you've enjoyed our show. 
and that we gave you some things to think about for the rest of Plastic Free July. If you want to hear more stories like this one, check out our website at terrainforma.ca. And have you ever wanted to be on the radio? Terra Informa is recruiting. If you want to join our team and share your stories, check out the About Us tab on terrainforma.ca. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. If you have any questions or comments, you can send us an email to terra at cjsr.com or tweet it at terrainforma. Visit us at terrainforma.ca and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks this week to our contributors, Hannah Cunningham, Dylan Hall, and Shelley Jojouin. We've been your hosts, Amanda Rooney and Sophia Osborne. Catch you next week.